Let's cut through the mainstream financial advice out there. This is your quick financial tip from your rich uncle. Let's get started, Richard. For a lot of the investors, they, they're new to how the economy works, how the Fed works. Where should we start out with first? The most important thing I think for everyone to begin with to understand is that the economy no longer works the way it did in the past. The big break came when the United States stopped backing dollars with gold. That happened between 1968 and 1971. And afterwards, our economic system evolved in a very different way. So the economic theory that everyone is still taught in university, all of the classical economic theory that was developed in the 19th century and before, that was all based on the initial foundation stone, the initial premise that gold was money. And it was all built on that foundation stone. Gold was money, and therefore the economy had to work in a certain way because gold was money. But after gold stopped being money in 1968, then things started to evolve. And now our economic system works in a very different way than it did before. And so it requires a different kind of economic theory to understand the way it works. Because after all, I think everyone's pretty convinced now that the old theory just can't explain the way things work in the modern world. That's why there's been so much confusion about what's been going on in the economy for the last several decades. So let me explain in a little bit more detail. Up until 1968, the Fed, the U.S. Central Bank, was required to own gold to issue, to back up all the dollars it issues. That's the way it had been since the Fed was created in 1913. But by 1968, the Fed didn't have enough gold left to allow it to issue any more dollars. So this was a huge problem because if that the money supply couldn't grow, the economy would have a crisis. So Congress changed the law and they removed that requirement for the Fed to hold any gold backing for the dollar whatsoever. That happened in 1968. And then just a few years later, Richard Nixon uh, destroyed the Bretton Woods system because that was based on allowing other countries to convert their dollars into U.S. gold. But by 1971, the U.S. just didn't have enough gold left to allow other countries to convert all of their dollars into U.S. gold. We would have completely had no gold left whatsoever had that occurred. So Nixon reneged on that promise for the U.S. to allow other countries to convert its dollars into gold. And so afterwards, there was no longer link, any link whatsoever between dollars or money and gold. And afterwards, the economic system started to evolve in ways that no one had anticipated or planned on. It just evolved naturally. Once these gold golden fetters were removed, things started to change. Most obviously, one thing that changed was the Fed was suddenly free to create as much money as it wanted, as long as it didn't create high rates of inflation. So the next thing that changed was because the Fed was free to create a lot of money, this enabled the U.S. government to run larger budget deficits than it could before without pushing up interest rates. In the olden days, since there was only a limited amount of money, if the government had very large budget deficits, then it would have had to borrow a lot of money and there was only a fixed amount of money. So the government borrowing would push up interest rates and that would, they say, crowd out the private sector because the higher interest rates made a lot of investments unprofitable. And that was bad for the economy. But once the Fed was free to create as much money as it pleased, it enabled the government to have larger budget deficits because the Fed created money and bought a lot of this government debt 
and finance the government budget deficits at low interest rates. So more that allowed more fiscal stimulus, and that allowed the government to direct the economy more by having large budget deficits and spending more. Now, the next very important thing that changed after dollars ceased to be backed by gold was that trade between countries no longer had the balance. Now, it seems odd to think that before 1971, trade between countries balanced. We have such enormous U.S. government, such enormous U.S. trade deficits. Now, for instance, this year, the U.S. trade deficit is going to be something like $1 trillion. And we've all grown up in this world over the last three or four decades where the U.S. has run these extraordinarily large trade deficits. But before 1971, that just didn't happen. Trade was in balance. And the reason it was in balance was because, for example, if the U.S. had a big trade deficit, let's say with China, as it does today, it would have had to send its gold over to China to pay for the trade deficit. And so U.S. gold, which was money, the money supply would have contracted, and that would have caused a very severe recession in the United States. So unemployment would have gone up, and there would have been deflation. And pretty soon, the Americans wouldn't have enough gold left to allow it to continue buying things from China or any other country. So trade had to come back into balance. There was an automatic adjustment mechanism under the Bretton Woods system, and before that, under the gold standard, that made sure that trade between countries had to balance. Because if it didn't balance, you had to pay for your deficit with gold, and gold was money, you'd run out of money, and so you'd stop having a trade deficit. It was very simple. But once gold was no longer money, it didn't take the United States very long to discover that it, it could start running very large trade deficits with other countries, and they no longer had to pay with gold. It could just pay with paper dollars or treasury bonds denominated in paper dollars. And there was no limit as to how many of these the U.S. government could create. So starting in the early 1980s, the U.S. started having a very big trade deficit for the first time ever. And by the middle of the 1980s, it was equal to 3.5% of GDP. That was just something entirely unprecedented, unimaginable. But that was just the beginning. In 1990, around 1990, China entered the global economy. And so the U.S. started having larger and larger trade deficits with China. And by 2006, the U.S. trade deficit was $800 billion in that one year alone. That was 6% of U.S. GDP. Now, of course, this was fantastic for global economic growth because with the U.S. having an $800 billion trade deficit in that one year, that meant the rest of the world could have an $800 billion trade surplus. In other words, it could, the rest of the world could produce $800 billion worth of goods more than it would have otherwise been able to do and sell it all to the United States. And so this was a thing that you could say this was globalization. As the U.S. trade deficit exploded between 1980 and 2006, this globalization, this huge U.S. trade deficit created a global economic boom that allowed one country after another around the world to grow through export-led growth. This had really started a bit earlier after World War II with Japan being able to industrialize by selling a lot of goods to the United States, and then Korea, and then Taiwan, then later Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, and more recently Vietnam and China. So in particular, all of Asia has been able to industrialize largely because it's been able to make manufactured goods and sell them to the United States. So this was great for 
the developing countries in Asia. It, in fact, pulled hundreds of millions of people around the world out of poverty. But from the U.S. perspective, why this was so important is because when the U.S. started buying more and more goods from low-wage countries like Thailand and Indonesia and later China and Vietnam, this by buying goods from low-wage countries, this pushed down the cost of manufactured goods in the United States. It caused, it was disinflationary. It drove down the inflation rate. And it also drove down wages in the U.S. or held wages down. And so this is the reason that there was, that the inflation rate came down so sharply from the early 1980s up until very recently. Globalization was extremely deflationary and it kept the inflation rate very low and that allowed interest rates in the U.S. to go to very low levels. So for example, as the, because the inflation was so low, that meant that the interest rates could be very low. Between the year 2000 and the time when COVID started, roughly a 20 year period, the average rate of inflation in the United States was 1.7% in that 20 year period. So that was below the Fed's 2% inflation target for two decades. So the Fed's biggest worry was preventing deflation during those decades, rather than worrying about inflation. So the reason this is so important is because back, say, in the 1960s and 1970s, before, while trade was still in balance, if the U.S. government ran very large budget deficits and overstimulated the economy, and if the Fed created a lot of money to help finance those trade deficits, then that always led to the very high rates of inflation. And the reason that led to very high rates of inflation is because all of that government spending and stimulus and money creation would have created such a strong economic growth in the United States that everyone would have a job. And also all of the factories would be working at full industrial capacity. The car factories would be working flat out. The steel factories would be manufacturing all the steel they could possibly manufacture. And so we hit domestic bottlenecks. And these domestic bottlenecks resulted in prices moving up, both wages and the cost of manufactured goods. And this led to a wage push inflation spiral that we experienced throughout the 1970s. So then everything changed though in the 1980s because we started running these very big trade deficits with the rest of the world and they were very deflationary. So the deflationary forces from globalization completely offset all of the inflationary forces that were being caused by the very large government budget deficits and all of the paper money that was being created by the Fed. And we still ended up in a situation where the inflation rate was lower than the Fed wanted and interest rates were very low. And the very low interest rates, then there were two results from low interest rates. One, credit expanded very rapidly and the credit growth started to drive economic growth. And also the low interest rates meant that asset prices inflated. When interest rates moved down, asset prices like property and also stocks and all the asset classes tend to move up. So our economic system started, it evolved over these past many decades after dollars ceased to be backed by gold. And we moved into a, an economic system where credit growth became the most important driver of economic growth. Lane is not a lawyer CPA, but the dude did quit his engineering job and now owns thousands of rental properties. Learn more about the secrets of the wealthy. Join our community at thewealthelevator.com slash club. And if you're looking for a longer form podcast, also subscribe to the Wealth Elevator podcast.